So we'll do Kimmy and after our discussion point. But before we get into the discussion point, let's have a little look at our, our memory verse, our scripture memory verse for, for this week, part of the Treasury Project. And uh, it's not too late to join the Treasury Project. You can get the memory verse uh, emailed uh, to you. Uh, once a week, it, it, you'll get it in your inbox on a Sunday morning or a Saturday. I think it comes in early on a Sunday morning. So for this week, the memory verse is Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Joyful, patient, and faithful. The marks of a Christian. Romans 12, 12, that's our memory verse for this week. And as I mentioned before, when you put all of these memory verses together over the full year, they actually give you a basis for Christian living. They really map out succinctly what the Christian faith is all about. It's very powerful. It's a wonderful thing to memorize scripture because it actually gives you strength. And you'll find that when you need it, you will remember. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance those scriptures that you have learnt. Well, during this past week, I've, I've felt that I, I really need to share uh, this week on our words. And uh, you can't actually see the full title there, but it says, Your Words, Your World. And um, I really think this is a message for our times, and it's a message for us as a church, and I think it's a message for God's people. And uh, from time to time, Undoubtedly, you would have heard me talk about the power that there is in our words. And of course, as we know, going back to Genesis, God spoke the universe into existence. His words created. And uh, many people would argue that our tongue is all about creation, not about communication. Communication is actually the secondary purpose of our tongue, the primary purpose of our tongue is actually a creative purpose. So I'll just um, stop sharing because I, again, I haven't got a PowerPoint presentation uh, for today, but that's that's okay. I've had a pretty busy week actually. It's been a, a big week. Praise the Lord for that. I was able to catch up with a bunch of other pastors on Friday morning to, to pray for the Gold Coast and to pray for our churches and to pray for pastors who are currently battling illness. It's always a wonderful thing, I reckon, when pastors get together and, uh, and pray together for their congregations and for their city. So words really matter. And, uh, you know, words, if you don't believe words create your world, they certainly do create your experience of the world. And I know this personally because and I've shared something of my testimony with you a couple of years ago I reckon I was the most negatively speaking person on the planet and uh, my world wasn't a happy world but one of the wonderful benefits that I experienced when I became a Christian was I was in a little church that was certainly a faith filled church a bible believing church and they focus very very strongly on the power that there is in the words that we speak 
And I used to actually write positive statements and put them up on the refrigerator and places where, and the mirror, places where I would see them regularly. And I used to say them. And uh, so I began to convince myself of a different world, a different experience. And it totally changed my outlook on life. We raised our children with positive words, even to the extent that when they were disciplined, we're all, we always made it clear that it was the behaviour that was the issue, not the person that was the issue. And I believe that's one of the reasons why they grew up confident young women, and the, um, they're slightly older women now, but they're confident women, and they're women who are fulfilling their individual destinies. I just want to share with you a few scriptures. These are all from Proverbs. And then I want to share with you some scriptures from the New Testament. Some of the things that Jesus said and did, which I think give emphasis to the power that there is in our words. So here's just a few passages from the book of Proverbs. And remember, the book of Proverbs is not about law. It's about wisdom. So the Proverbs represent the wisdom of somebody. We believe it was Solomon, but not all, not all researchers would agree with that. But many agree that Solomon wrote these in his old age, so based on a great deal of wisdom. And he was the wisest person who ever lived. Proverbs 11.9, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. With their words, the godless destroy their friends but knowledge will rescue the righteous. So what you say to other people, what you say about other people, including your children, your spouse, your friends, your workmates, can actually destroy them. Proverbs eleven seventeen: your kindness, often expressed in words, will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. So if you say negative things about other people, they will actually come back and land on you. It's a principle, a principle of life. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And certainly, if you've had anything to do with ambassadors, you'll know that they choose their words very, very carefully because they don't want to set off a fire. They're very careful. Their words are measured. And even though they might be representing a government which is annoyed, even angry about something that has happened, theirs is always a gentle answer. And we are ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, we should practice the art of the gentle answer because it deflects anger. It's a better way to relate to people. Proverbs 15.4, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Now, the, the tree of life is often represented as a tree that is growing by a stream, by a river. So roots go down into the soil and they're able to access good water. And the tree that uh, is growing by that water is a strong tree, a tall tree. So, Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue or an angry tongue actually crushes the spirit. And sadly, I've seen parents do this far 
too often that instead of using gentle words, even when they're admonishing their children, they use harsh or deceitful words. And that will crush the spirit. You don't want to do that. Not with your spouse, not with your children, not with your friends, not with your workmates, indeed, not with anyone. And on similar lines to Proverbs 11.7, Proverbs 16.24 says this, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. You want to live a long life? Speak kind words. If you want those around you to live long and to live well, speak kind words because they're like honey. You know, honey has healing properties. Those kinds of words are sweet to the soul and are healthy for the body. I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that I've known people in my lifetime who really have had nothing but negative, harsh, critical words to say. And uh, sadly, they've died. They've had heart attacks. They've had strokes. They've had cancer. And um, you can be guaranteed that if you speak negatively, if that's your habit, if your habit is speaking negatively, speaking harshly, speaking cruelly, you will be the loser ultimately because you are very likely to die from cancer or from a stroke or from a heart attack. Because those harsh words, those angry words, those cruel words actually build within you a, a, a whole cocktail of chemicals that are bad for you. Kind words are like honey or like medicine, sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. Proverbs 18, verses 20 to 21, and verse 21 of Proverbs 18 is probably the one which is most often quoted in relation to the power of our words. Verse 20 says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. And here's verse 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue can bring death or life. You know, I, I believe that we can choose life or death every day. Virtually every day that we live on this planet, we have the choice to walk down the path of life or to walk down the path of death. And our words will take us on one or other of those paths. So you can speak death or you can speak life into any situation. You can speak death or life into your world, into your experience of the world around you. And just as a, a little, probably trivial example, before I was a Christian, let's say something went wrong with my car, that would send me into a tailspin of depression uh, for days because I have to spend money fixing the car. Now, if something like that happens, I say, praise God, I have enough income to be able to get it fixed. And there have actually been times when I've prayed, when I've had a large expenditure, that somehow that money will get into the hands of a Christian who will tithe out of it to their local church. You see, that's a much better way of looking at it, isn't it? Not that I've got a loss because I've had a problem with my motor vehicle, but that somewhere along the chain, there's going to be a gain for somebody. That somewhere along the chain, that money will find its way into the hands of a tither. 
who will bless their local church by tithing or making an offering. And I think if you don't remember anything else from today, remember that verse, Proverbs 18, 21. Your tongue, your tongue has the power to bring life or to bring death into your world. And if you go through one of those periods when you're thinking, woe is me, the, the whole world's against me, most likely it's because you've talked the world into being against you. And you can change it by what you speak. You know, tough times come. Tough times come. But see, even in the very toughest of times, you can still speak positively because you have Jesus. You know, I know often Jeanette and I have said to each other, I wouldn't want to be going through this without Jesus. You know, I wouldn't want to do life. I wouldn't want to do coronavirus. I wouldn't want to do any of these things without Jesus because it brings us comfort. It brings us strength. It brings us hope to know that whatever we're experiencing today isn't the truth of the promises that we have for the future. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences, either positive or negative. And finally, Proverbs 20, verse 15, wise words are more valuable than much gold and many rubies. And there are other Proverbs that speak of those who are wise, they hold their tongue until they've thought carefully about what they're going to say. Wise words are more valuable than much gold and many rubies. And I, I know that I, I've taught on that verse from Proverbs 18 before. We've, we've, we've had a few sessions on the importance of the words that we speak. What I would like to do today is to, to just talk a little bit, to analyze a little bit about what it is that lies behind the words that we speak. What it is that lies behind the words that we speak. What it is that's led us to habitually speak positively or negatively about situations or about our children, our spouse, or other people. I want to read to you from uh, Matthew 12. This is verse uh, 33 to 34 and Luke 6, 44 to 45. You see, because I think the answer to the question, what determines what we speak, is the heart. So what we speak actually reflects what is in our heart. So here we have Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And uh, the Pharisees don't like him very much. In fact, they, they came to the conclusion that he, the power that he has to cast out demons comes from Satan. So they're, they're thinking pretty negatively about him. Now, Jesus knows what they're thinking, and uh, he speaks to them. And this is what he says. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Luke 6, 44 to 45 is recording the same incident. And here it says, a tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person 
produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what you say is actually determined by the state of your heart. Now, I'm actually going to change the order uh, in which I present this. I've just just, um, felt I need to um, change the order a little bit. But um, so how do you, what, what determines the state of your heart? What determines the state of your heart? Well, there probably are a million and one things, including your past experience. But a really important influence on the heart is where you are at in terms of your spiritual walk with the Lord. And what determines your spiritual walk with the Lord largely is your knowledge of his word. The Word of God reveals God to us. It's the, the entirety of the Word of God is a revelation of who He is and who we are. And of course, in the New Testament, particularly in the epistles, it's all about who we are in Christ. Romans 10:17 says this: "So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ." The, the heart is the seat of faith, as it were. So your heart is the seat or, or, or the, the place from which your faith emanates. How do you get faith? Well, you don't get faith by listening to a sermon. You don't get faith by singing words of praise and worship. You don't get faith by coming to church. You actually get faith by building a personal relationship with God, and that happens when you know him. How do you come to know him? You get the word into your heart. Notice that it says faith comes from hearing. Faith doesn't come from hanging around with other Christians. It doesn't come from going to Coorong and buying a stack of books. In fact, research shows that most often those books just sit on your shelf and no one ever reads them. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It remains the best-selling book in the world. It doesn't appear on the best-seller charts because there are so many different translations and versions and publishers and so on. But it's also quite possibly the least read book. But most homes, many hotels and so on, there'll be a Bible there. I was actually talking to someone from Gideon's just the other day. They're the organization that placed Bibles in hotels. And they were, they were finding hotels were ringing them during the coronavirus pandemic saying, can we get more Bibles to put into our hotel? But you see, most of the time, those Gideon Bibles just sit in a drawer. You see, you don't get faith by owning a Bible. It comes through hearing. And yes, that hearing can be somebody telling you the good news, but the hearing, another important facet of hearing is you actually speaking God's word 
to yourself. And I remember when I first became a Christian, it's not so fashionable anymore, but in the 1980s, in the late 1980s, when I became a Christian, in, in Pentecostal circles, there was a very strong idea about how important it was for you to read your Bible out loud, to say it so that you could hear it. And, and I actually think perhaps we've become a little bit lazy in more recent times because we've got podcasts and we've got television. Um, you know, we, we can listen to dozens and dozens of preachers. And, and look, I know people who do that. You know, they've got their favorite preachers and, and good on you for doing that. But there is no substitute for hearing the word of God when you speak it out yourself because then it does something in your heart and the heart becomes the fountain of your words. So you see, if you've got God's word and through God's word, God's nature in your heart, then you will speak words that are filled with faith. You'll speak God words, not words that you're taught by some experience of the world or, or somebody else who you think is worth following. I remember how simple it was. I used to stand up before I went to work and I'd read uh, a chapter or two from the Bible because I'd been taught faith comes by hearing, hearing the good news of the gospel. And look, I, I didn't spend a long time doing it, but you know, I got to learn the word and through learning the word, I got to know God and to build a personal relationship with him. It's very important. It's very important that you invest, that you invest in your heart and you do it by the word of God. I want to share with you now just a, a couple of thoughts on the parable of the fig tree and it's recorded in both uh, Matthew and Mark. The two, the two um, records are a little bit different. But the context is around Jesus' triumphal entry into the holy city. Remember, shortly after that, he removed the money changers out of the temple grounds and so on. And... Um, it's recorded in Mark. Uh, I will read the Mark uh, record, I think. Mark 11, verses 12 to 25. It's also in Matthew, chapter 21, verses 18 to 22. Now, I won't read the whole of, of Mark, but I'll read some, some of the, the scriptures. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Say it. The disciples heard him say it. Well, according to, to Mark, um, a few things happened in Jerusalem. And then the next morning, this is verse, uh, verse 20. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. 
Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree. Remember this? Said to the tree. Not about it. Said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Now, before I go on, just a word of explanation. There have been many, many pages written on interpretation of this parable. And uh, most of those interpretations relate to the state of Israel and that the tree represents Israel. And uh, you can go online and you can find lots and lots of very erudite discussions about that. And most of your Bibles will have that little notation, parable of the fig tree in it. But I want to suggest that another way of looking at it is that Jesus was teaching his disciples the power of words, the power of words backed by faith, which of course emanates from your heart. And this is what Jesus said to the disciples. He, he didn't give them a discourse on the disobedience of Israel and what God might do to Israel in the not too distant future. This is what he said to his disciples. Oh, by, by the way, the other thing too is his whole issue about whether or not there should have been any fruit on it. And um, I've done a bit of reading on this and there are, there are various, um, various ideas but there were a number of different types of fig tree in, in Israel. They weren't necessarily native to the area, but they'd been grown in that area for a very long time. It's quite possible that this particular fig tree had gone into leaf early because normally if the tree was, was fully foliaged, as it were, you'd find fruit on it. We've actually got two fig trees in our backyard. They're not big enough to bear fruit yet. But usually when, when they, they're fully in leaf, you should find fruit on them. So it might have been too early in the season for fruit, but this particular tree had foliage and therefore Jesus might have expected that it would have fruit on it. Well, it didn't. And because it wasn't doing as it was meant to do, he cursed it and said, well, no one will ever eat of your fruit again. So we, we see that when they come back, the next day, the disciples see the fig tree and they ask Jesus about it. And this is what Jesus says to the disciples. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Verse 25 goes on to say, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins also. The, um, the account in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 22 uh, records Jesus as saying this to disciples. I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt it, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. So this is how it goes. Your heart is the seed of your faith. You're going to have faith of some kind. Faith in the world, faith in yourself, or if you're a Christian, faith in God through Jesus Christ. 
How did it get there? Because you heard it. How did you hear it? Because you said the word of God. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. Any mountain, a mountain of sickness, a mountain of financial lack, a mountain of social issues, a mountain of family issues, you can actually speak to your mountain. But you see, you'll never speak to the mountain if your heart, the repository of your faith, hasn't actually been built up by the word of God. And I would suggest that if you habitually speak words that are negative, words that are, as it were, filled with death and not with life, then you need to look to the state of your heart and therefore to the state of your faith. It's a kind of a circular thing. Your words create your world. Your words create your world. If they don't create your world, at the very least, they create your experience of the world. Your words reflect your heart. Jesus said, out of the heart, you will say. Your heart is where your faith resides. It's, if you like, the spiritual center of your being. If you want to change your world, change your words. If you want to change your words, you need to change your heart. And if you want to change your heart, you need to say or to speak the word of God. Read the, all, all you have to do is to read the word out loud. Read it out loud. Don't listen to someone else reading it. Don't listen to a podcast of your favorite preacher. You can keep doing that, but that won't really change your heart. What will change your heart is getting the word of God deep down within. And then you will habitually speak words of life, not words of death. You will speak words that become honey that become healing to your flesh. You will speak words that enable your own spouse or children, friends, workmates to thrive. And I've seen it work both ways. I've been on this planet long enough to see it work both ways. So get the word in your heart. You get your word in the heart by speaking it out loud. And out of the abundance of what is in your heart, your mouth will speak and it will change your world.